Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Ron and I had probably been married, I don't know, about a year, maybe a little more, and we were living in Springfield, Missouri. We were both full-time students. We were both working full-time, and then we carried on what was probably the equivalent of a part-time unpaid job leading a preschool ministry at the, at the church we were part of that was growing. And so we, and, and then my dad was sick at the time, so we were driving back and forth sometimes from Missouri to Ohio. So it was kind of a crazy season for us, just, just a lot of stuff going on. And I was taking a biblical Hebrew course at seminary, and the course had as one kind of the, the big requirement in the whole course was this one project that you had to do. We were studying the book of Hosea, and there was a passage that you had to interpret, you had to write a term paper about, you had to, you had to then do a presentation for it, it was about a 12-page paper, and then you had to stand in front of the class and do a presentation, and it came time for my day to do the presentation. And again, it had been kind of just a crazy season, we were busy, and I had grossly underestimated how long it would take me to do the project. And so when it came down to it, I was finishing the project the night before I was supposed to turn it in and do the presentation. In fact, I stayed up all night. I finished the project about 5 a.m. before the 7.30 class where I had to do the presentation. And when I finished it up, I looked at it and I said, Chad, you've done a good job. You held on, got that through. Just before you jump in the shower to go to that 7.30 class, it's about 5.10, why don't you just take a minute, sit down on the couch and just close your eyes for a minute. You know where this story's going, don't you? Can I finish it, please? And so, so I, I sit down on the couch at a little after five to just take a quick little, close my eyes for a minute before I get ready for my 7.30 class. And when I woke up at 9 a.m., I'd missed the whole thing. I mean, this paper, by and large, was the grade for the class. And I thought... That's it. It's over. I'm going to have to drop out of school. Rhonda's probably going to leave me. <laughs> Children will point at me on the street and say, there, like, you know, just a worst case scenario. What am I going to do? So I got everything together. I knew when the professor would be in his office, and I went in to see him, and I, and I went in, and I, and I gave him the, the material, and I said, look, Dr. Cotton, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I know I was supposed to be here, and I have no excuse. And I, and I walked through you know, my job, the church, the school, my dad, all this kind of stuff, just gave my license. But at the end of the day, I have no excuse. I just, I overslept, and I'm just giving you this paper, and uh, I, I just don't know what you want to do. You know what he should have done is he should have gave me a zero because there was a time when it was due, and I didn't do it. He should have gave me an F for the course. I should have failed the whole thing because there was something that I should have done, but I didn't do it. He didn't give me an F. Do you know what he gave me? He gave me an M. He gave me mercy. And he said, look, here's what we're going to do. Next class, you'll present your paper. He says, whatever grade you would get, I'm going to take it down a letter grade, and I'm going to give you mercy. And because of Dr. Roger Cotton's mercy, I can be your pastor here today. <laughs> right? You know, so thanks, Dr. Cotton. You know, some of you are like, he shouldn't have done that. And, um, but, that's, but today, we're going to talk about a subject That's incredibly powerful. Back into the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five. Let's just jump right in. Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Jesus says this, and pay attention here. It's short, but it's big. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
There's things we deserve, and when we don't get it, that is mercy. Instead of giving me a zero, instead of failing me in the course, Dr. Cotton gave me mercy. He allowed me the opportunity to move forward. Not that there weren't consequences. There were consequences. But I had mercy given to me in my life. Today we're going to talk about this idea of mercy. And the truth is, when you look at Scripture, the, the, the idea of mercy is all throughout Scripture. And it's big. It's there. And today, for us to be able to kind of wrap our brains around this concept, what I want to do is, is just kind of diagram some thoughts out for us a little bit. Now, remember this. I went to seminary. I did not go to art school. So today, when I draw, I want you to give me mercy. Can I get an Amen. Okay, so today we're going to talk about this idea of mercy, and that's terrible. That's, I can't even, okay, so we're going to talk about this idea of mercy, and as we look at this, what I want you to see as we see what scripture says is that there's three sides to this idea of mercy and how it plays out in our lives and the difference that it makes. So let's start, let's look at kind of what we'll call the, the first side of mercy, and let's talk today to begin with about mercy and God. We're going to begin today talking about mercy and God, because the reality is it's with God that mercy begins. He's the source of it. Mercy begins with God. And so we can't talk about it unless we start there. In an ultimate sense, he is the source of mercy. So what I want to do is look at a few different scriptures and see what it says to us about this idea of mercy and God. Let's start with Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. In this passage, Moses asks God to show him his glory. And as God reveals himself to Moses, this is what God says. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we talk about God and mercy, it's important that we recognize that mercy is a part of God's character. It's who he is. You know, sometimes we, we talk about different people and we talk about what they do, but it's also important for us to recognize who they are. You know, you might be talking to somebody and you realize, hey, we have a mutual friend. You go, oh, well, we both know this person. And as you talk about that person, maybe you go, well, you know, they can kind of be a jerk sometimes. You're not very filled with mercy in that moment, right? And you say, well, they, they can kind of be a jerk sometimes. And you go, yeah, but that's just who they are. Or maybe the other's true. You're talking about somebody and you go, well, yeah, I know them. Aren't they great? I say, yeah, they're just, they're just good people. That's, they're, they're kind. They're, they're courteous. That's just who they are. See, when God described himself to Moses, he didn't talk about necessarily what he did. He talked about who he is. And he begins by saying that he is a God who shows us mercy. Now that's an important place to begin because watch what we read next. In the book of Psalms, David writes about God's mercy. Look at this, uh, Psalm 25, verse six. He says, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. See, not only is it God's character to be merciful, but it is also, and I think we need to recognize this, it's also God's gift to us to be merciful. It is God's gift to be merciful. He shares his mercy with us. And for some of you, one of the most critical things that you can, that you can take away from here today is maybe you've had a perception of God 
where you've wondered if he really cares, where you wonder if he's really a God of mercy. And the reality is, it is who he is, and he wants to share that. He wants to give that to you. And you might say, well, God, or you, <laughs> you might say, well, Chad, God hasn't been very merciful in my situation. And I would encourage you, your situation's not over yet. God is still at work in your life if you'll trust him and look to him. He's a God of mercy. And you know, sometimes I've, I've got to stop and, and remember to count my blessings. I know that's kind of a cliche to say that. But this week, as I was thinking about this idea of mercy, I was reminded of all the ways that God has poured out his blessing in my life. I'm so thankful for my spouse, my parents, for Rhonda's parents, for our kids. I'm so thankful for the privilege that God has given to us to be a part of a church like Calvary. And, I, and as I thought about these different blessings, I realized how often I take them for granted. Anybody else? You know, you get used to the things that you have and you forget that those aren't there because you've earned them or you deserve them or somehow they were owed to you. You have them because of God's mercy. David realized this, when, when, if you remember the famous passage in Psalm 51, this was after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had to repent. This is kind of the classic passage on repentance. Look at where he begins, Psalm 51, verse one. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me, from my sin. In all honesty, this, this week as I've talked about mercy, it's caused me to have to look back and, and say, God, thank you that you have poured out your mercy on me. Why? He, he does it because it's his character. He does it because mercy is a gift that he gives to us. But look at this passage. This is interesting. Micah chapter six, verse eight. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Look at that verse. Does it say this is what God suggests of you? Is this what God highly recommends that you do? No, he says this is what the Lord requires of you. He says this is a commandment for you. And we need to understand that God also commands mercy of us. He, he requires it. He says, this is something that if you are going to be one of my people, if you are going to follow me, he requires that we love mercy. And in a world where people are often mistreated, where power is amplified over justice, I think it would be really important for us to stop at times and say, is this an opportunity where God would have me to show mercy? See, God commands mercy that we speak out for the oppressed that we treat others with equality, that we act on behalf of those who cannot act for themselves, that we show mercy. And when we talk about it in that way, that brings us then to, to what I would call maybe the second side of mercy that we're looking at here today. We start by, by looking at God and his character, the gift of mercy he gives, how he commands it. But when he commands it, that reveals this, that the second side of mercy is when we talk about mercy and others. The second side of mercy is when we talk about mercy and others, because God commands us that we are to show mercy to others, which, which causes us to maybe have a helpful conversation for a minute about what mercy is. See, mercy is an action and not just an emotion. 
Oftentimes, I think we think about mercy, and we, we think it's this warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, we get this feeling sometimes, and we're like, oh, oh, there's, something should be done about that. I feel bad for that person. Or, oh, I have this little sense of emotion. It's like when you see that little stray kitten, and you go, oh, what can I do? You have that warm, fuzzy feeling. And the reality is mercy goes beyond that feeling. It's not just emotion. Mercy is an action. And at some point, you have to do something about it. There's a critical difference there because good feelings never make a positive difference. Good feelings are not enough. At some point, you need to act on those feelings. You may feel hungry. In fact, some of you feel really hungry right now. But it doesn't do any good to just feel it. You have to eat. You may feel sleepy, Many of you feel sleepy right now. And that's not enough. At some point, you have to sleep, and this is not the point. Sometimes you feel sympathy or you feel empathy, but that's not enough. You have to do something about it. What does Jesus say? He says, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Remember what he's writing here. These beatitudes he's giving to his followers kind of the rules for his kingdom. He says, look, it may not match the world you're in. You you live in a world that's upside down. I want you to see how you can live right side up. And he says, these are my rules. These are the ways that, that we live as followers of Christ. And he points out that the world might not always like them. In the next few weeks, we're gonna look at a beatitude that says, blessed are the peacemakers. If you've gotta make peace, that means somewhere there's conflict. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. If you're persecuted, that means that people are out to get you. And the reality is when he says this, he does not say be merciful to those who are worse off than you or be merciful to those who are nice to you or be merciful to those when. He doesn't give any conditions here. He just says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. This is interesting to note that mercy that Jesus calls us to is based on calling and not condition. He doesn't say sometimes be merciful and sometimes not. He just says, blessed are the merciful Sometimes it's easy for me to show mercy when it's convenient, when it's somebody I like, when it's a situation where I can feel good about myself. But what about when it's not convenient? What about when I have to go out of my way? What about when showing mercy means I have to swallow my pride? Which leads us, I think there's kind of two big categories in scripture of how we can show mercy to others. The first one that we see, and this is pretty basic, this one just kind of makes sense, We show mercy to others through acts of compassion. Mercy may be compassion. It may be an act of compassion that you show to another person. And again, this one, it just kind of makes sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, as we look at this, we, we think of the poor, we think of the sick, the frail, we think of children, we think of the elderly, we think of the refugee, we think of the orphan, we think of the homeless. We say the less fortunate need me to show them some mercy. The reality is God, again, commands this. Zechariah chapter seven, verse eight. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And so when we see someone who's in need, the response as a follower of Jesus Christ is that we are to show them Mercy. In fact, when when someone calls out for help, what they're really asking for is mercy. There's this passage in Matthew chapter nine where 
There's these blind guys, and they want Jesus to heal them. And watch what they say in verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So the, the question is, where in your world is the opportunity for you to show mercy? Is there something you can give? Is there somebody you should befriend in your school? Is there somebody in your workplace who you need to have some patience with? Do you need to get a little extra time or a little extra energy to your family in some way? Is there some place in your life where as an act of compassion, God is calling you to look on someone else with mercy? And think about those words. He's calling you to look on someone else with mercy. Because what happens in life is instead of looking with mercy, we often find ourselves in a place where we look through our own bias and experience. I was talking with a friend this week, and he was telling me, and make a long story short, he was out with a child who's about nine years old. And they watched this person, and when they saw this person, they saw this person was in pretty pathetic shape. And without going into any details, my friend looked at this person and said, how can you let yourself be in that place? How can you allow yourself to be in that condition? I bet they this, and I bet they that, and they, they, they forfeited this, and they should have done that. You know how you make all those judgments in your head real quick? They saw this person, and those were their thoughts right away. How could they have? The child looked up at him and said, Look at that poor person. Shouldn't we help them? Kind of puts it all in perspective. God didn't call us to figure it all out. At some point, he calls us to start with mercy. Sometimes we have to step back and look at it through the eyes of a child. So mercy, in, in a certain sense, in, in an act of compassion, may be like seeing that poor stray little kitten and taking it in and showing it mercy. But some of you are not inclined to take in the stray little kitten. Some of you are more likely to kick the neighbor's cat. And if you're that person, what does the neighbor do? The neighbor is also called in scripture to show you mercy. See, there's two sides to showing another person mercy in scripture. One of them is compassion. The other, and this is really interesting, many times in scripture, when it talks about mercy, it talks about showing someone else forgiveness. So mercy may be an act of compassion, but in your situation, mercy may also be an act of forgiveness, of looking at a situation and being willing to give forgiveness to another person. Not because they're helpless, but because maybe they've done you wrong. Maybe there's been a misunderstanding. Maybe there's been a painful action, and at some point, you're called to show them mercy. Do you remember the story in Matthew chapter 18? Peter comes up to Jesus. He's feeling a little good about himself. He says, Jesus, if somebody does me wrong, how many times should I forgive them? And then he says this, because he wants to seem kind of super spiritual. He says, should I forgive him seven times? Because, Jesus, I'm man enough to forgive somebody seven times. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, nah, Peter, not seven times. And depending on the version of the Bible that you read, some, some versions say, but 77 times. Another version says 70 times seven. And the point here is not the number. The point is that, that, that Jesus is using hyperbole to say, Peter, you're not supposed to count to seven. You're not supposed to count at all. Like if you've got a list of the wrongs that somebody's done, you got a spreadsheet in Excel and you're like, they're on number 76, they got one more. That's it. And then I'm done forgiving you. Jesus like, you missed the point. Because then he tells a story. 
It tells the story of a guy who was, and remember this is in the first century culture, he was a servant to his master, and his master had loaned him money, and he comes to this servant, and he says, I want my money back. Now, Jesus, again, is using hyperbole, right? So he goes with this, this crazy number, which was 10,000 talents, which, which scholars have said, if you translated that out into today's value, that would be over $2 billion. So it's a big sum, right? And he says, I want my money back. And the servant says to the master, he says, oh, man, I, I don't have the money. And the master says, well, that means you got to go to prison. And the guy's like, I don't want to go to prison. And they talk for a minute. And you know what the master does? The master forgives him what he owes. Two billion dollars. He forgives him. And the servant goes out and runs into another servant who actually owes him money. And scholars say that if you translated that using like the same kind of currency, you would find that that guy was owed about four thousand dollars. Just for given two billion, he's been owed four thousand. And he says to the guy that owes him, give me my money. And the guy says, I don't have it. I can't give it to you right now. He says, fine. And he has him thrown in prison. The one that was just given forgiveness and mercy didn't have it for the one who owed him. Watch what Jesus says next. Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Look, I know forgiveness is not easy. We landed on this topic several weeks back and um, afterwards... Some of you came in and caught me in the atrium and, and you said, hey, that forgiveness thing, I'm kind of having a hard time with it. And you told me your stories. Guess what? You've been hurt. You've been done wrong. You've been ripped off. You've been wounded. And there's no doubt about the fact that someone did not treat you right. But you've got to understand the point of this story the point of this story isn't justice. The point of this story isn't that everything is made right. The point of this story is that at some point you have to leave justice in God's hands. The point of the story is mercy. Because when you hold on to unforgiveness instead of choosing to express mercy through forgiveness, and we've said this before, who do you hurt? Do you hurt the person that you're not forgiving? No, you just put poison in yourself. It's toxic how it affects you. When you give someone mercy, you're actually giving them something they need, but even more, you're giving yourself something that you need. That act of forgiveness is huge. I believe that when you forgive, it's not just important for this person. It's more important for that person, which brings us to kind of the third side of mercy. We've talked about God's mercy, how it's in his character, how it's a gift he gives to us, and he commands that we give it to others. We do that through acts of compassion. We do that through acts of forgiveness. And the bottom line when you look at this, when we talk about mercy, that third side of mercy is mercy in me. How does mercy work out in my life? What difference does it make for me? There's this interesting passage, James chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to what James says. 
He says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Read that again. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. He puts it in perspective. He says, if you do not show mercy, you will have more severe judgment. But if you show mercy, you will receive mercy. And he says at the very end, look at this last line, mercy triumphs over judgment. If you're taking notes, that's not a bad thing to write down. That mercy triumphs over judgment. In fact, when we talk about this idea of what mercy means for me, that's really what we have to remember and where we have to start. That mercy, it triumphs over judgment. That it's more important than judgment. And Jesus talks about judgment. If you, if you fast forward a little bit into the Sermon on the Mount, he actually spends quite a bit of time talking about this idea. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Listen to what Jesus says. And, and be careful with this passage because we sometimes, I think, misunderstand or misuse it. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the point is not that we're not supposed to judge others at times. In fact, it's almost impossible, we'll see here in just a moment, to not give judgment in some way. The point is this, we must be careful to judge without being judgmental. It's important that we judge situations, that we judge other people without being judgmental. And we'll look at the difference of that in just a moment. But Jesus is not calling us to be mindless. Aren't there times where legitimately we have to judge a person or judge a situation? We have to look at this and say, is this good? Is this wise? Is this evil? Is this dangerous? Is this smart? Does this help me know Jesus better? At some point, we have to look and we have to judge a situation. In fact, what's interesting, in verse one of Matthew seven, Jesus says, do not judge. But watch what he says when you go down to verse six. Listen to this. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus says, look, you're not to judge, but you better figure out who the dogs and the pigs are. In fact, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, there's oftentimes where he identifies what a hypocrite looks like So his point is not that we can never cast judgment in some way because at some point we have to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's wise, what's not. The reality is the follower of Jesus Christ is called to live with discernment. Maybe discernment is a better word than to judge. We are to discern what the situation is and then respond appropriately. If you're standing in a bank and you're waiting to be called to the teller, somebody walks in wearing a ski mask and holding a gun, Do you look at that person and go, hmm, I wonder what they're doing, but I don't want to judge them. (laughs) No, what are you gonna say? They're gonna rob the bank. That's not being judgmental, that's being discerning. You look and you go, this is a bad situation. That's not thinking poorly of someone, that's thinking accurately of someone. And the reality is in our lives, the Holy Spirit helps us to be discerning. There are times when we look at a person or we look at a situation and we know this is not the right thing. So how do you judge someone without being judgmental? Jesus helps us. Look at verse three. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? 
you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What a, what a powerful analogy that he gives to us here. Now, I didn't bring a plank, but I thought this little piece of two by four would help us out. If you got something in your eye and you want me to help you pull it out, that's great, unless I got this sticking out of my head, right? Because I go to help you and instead I give you a concussion. And the reality is we spend most of our time being critical of that little thing in you when I've got this big thing here sticking out of my eye. And the reality is until we recognize this, we're judging other people. There's a difference that has to happen. Understand this, and this is Jesus' point. We must be careful to judge without thinking we are the judge. If you're judging a situation, it's important that you remember that you can be a judge. You're just not the judge. Who is the only judge of our lives? It is only God. He's the one who judges us. And some of us, think we're everybody else's judge and jury, that we've got it all figured out, that we know the answer to the circumstance. And at some point, we've got to recognize what's going on in our own eyes before we try to pull something out that's in someone else's. How do you know the difference between discernment and judgment? When are you discerning and when are you judgmental? Discernment becomes judgment when we are critical of others without acknowledging the condition of ourselves. Discernment crosses this line into judgment. When we become critical of others, the speck in your eye, without acknowledging the condition of ourselves. At some point, I can't help you with your issues until I recognize my own. There's a difference that's there. Too many times, too many times I watch people derail their lives, their, their careers, their happiness, because they look at other people and they go, it's just not fair that they got that or they did this or they went there or they're with them or they had or they have. Have you heard those people? Have you been those people? It makes you miserable. At some point, I've just got to say, God, thank you for the mercy that you've given in my life. Because if I want him to be my Lord and judge, I have to be content with the fact that he's your Lord and judge too. It's not on me to figure it out. That it's on him. Romans chapter 12, verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So what about, what about the times when you're being patient and you're giving out mercy and people aren't responding to that? They, they don't recognize it. They take it for granted. You ex extend mercy to your child and the behavior continues. Maybe you, you supervise some people on the job and you're trying to give mercy and not only is there not a change in their, their performance or their behavior, but it's actually beginning to hurt the whole team. What do you do in those moments? Mercy's not blind, right? Maybe this is a little more practical to talk about, but at some point, if you're giving out mercy and you're giving out mercy and you're giving out mercy, at some point, there needs to be some kind of change in the right direction or you're really not showing mercy. Does that make sense? 
At some point, I've got to help you not to, to, to be uh, enabled to do what you're doing, but help you to move forward in your life. So that's a key thing. The problem is too many times, and this is maybe just more practical than it is, is, is spiritual, but too many times we show mercy and then we get to a point where our head explodes. Have you been there? It's called passive aggressiveness. And I smile at you and I smile at you and I smile at you and then the next time you do it, I become Frankenstein. And I blow up at you. I was passive, now I'm aggressive. There's gotta be an answer somewhere in the middle there where you recognize and you talk with people. I mean, God does this all throughout scripture. He corrects us and he tells us these are going to be the consequences of your actions if you don't respond in a certain way. The author of mercy says, look, this is what I require of you and I will give you mercy, but at some point, you're gonna cross that line. And we have to do that with our kids. And we have to do that in a job situation. We have to do that in relationships. And what we've got to be careful to do is that we're not merciful one moment and chad the hammer the next. Does that make sense? If a situation is not resolved by patient mercy, it may require clear and compassionate action. And I make it very clear, this is how we're going to walk through this. And then I deal with it with compassion. Because have you ever been in a situation where someone had to kind of withhold some mercy from you and instead bring some consequences? My professor did. He didn't just say, hey, Chad, no big deal. Go home and get a good night's sleep. He said, Chad, get a good night's sleep. But you're going to lose a letter grade on your paper. Because there's consequence, even in the midst of mercy. I guess that's where Jesus comes in again. If you go a little further in Matthew chapter seven, he says this, very famous passage of scripture. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Does anybody know what we call that? The golden rule. I remember it was one of the first scriptures that I ever learned. Do to others what you would have them do to you. I I repeated that to my dad. And he said, no, it's do to others before they do to you. (laughs) He's just kidding. Except we live that way sometimes. We try to get the upper hand in a situation. In fact, that's where legalism, I think, oftentimes comes into a church. Legalism is, is merciless. When we just want to impose rules instead of allowing mercy to come into a situation. And remember, God's a real big fan of mercy. When you, when you were a kid, did you ever play that game, playground game called Mercy? Does anybody remember this? I'll, I'll, show, you, I'll show you how it works. Stefan, can you come up here and help me for a moment? And uh, yeah, you choose the stairs. That's, that's a good call. He's safe. He's, he's going to do this. If you played Mercy when you were a kid, this was, this was something you do out on a playground. And I'm just going to warn you right now, when I preach, my, my palms get a little sweaty. I'm not nervous and, and all this kind of thing. So, okay, so here we go. And this is, this, is how, this is how it would work if you played Mercy. You'd take your hands and you would lock fingers like this, and then you try to put pressure on the other person. Maybe you can even get them to come around like, oh, dude, come on, man. Can't you see? You said you weren't going to do that. That was an overreaction. Okay. okay, all right. And you do this, and the idea is at some point you get the other person to say mercy. To say mercy. And when they say mercy, you win. See, the idea of the game is not to give mercy, but to force the other person to say mercy. And the winner is the person who forces the other person in that way. The reality is that's not God's definition, is it? We're not supposed to bring someone to a point where they beg for mercy. We're supposed to give them mercy. And the reason I stopped so quickly is because you would have won. Can you give Stefan a big hand? And uh, thanks, dude. 
too many times we think we win when we get someone in a position where they have to ask for it. When actually what God wants us to do is to give it. Which brings us to what may be the most important part of this whole thing. Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful because they will be shown mercy. The, the best word that I know how to describe this is that mercy boomerangs. Do, do you know what a boomerang is? those curved pieces of wood. I had one when I was a kid and I would go out, we had a big backyard and I'd go out in the backyard and I'd throw that boomerang. When I threw it, they didn't call it a boomerang. Do you know what they called it? Stick. Because I'd just throw it. We've got a Calvary named Dave and I remember years ago, he helped some of our, our boys, our Royal Rangers, make some boomerangs. They, they cut some pieces out of wood and then he took them back in the field at the church and he taught them how to throw it right. And it was crazy because I was out there and you got these kids out there and they throw this stick and it comes back. It was the craziest thing. I was watching I, just YouTube uh, uh, boomerang tricks. It's crazy what you can do. You throw that thing and then it comes back. Scripture says mercy works in the very same way that when you give it to others, it comes back to you. Look what scripture says, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. Those who are kind benefit themselves. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Proverbs 14, 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Psalm 18, 25 describes God with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. Don't miss the point. What you show to others has a direct effect on what God shows to you. Not that he's limited, I mean, scripture says very clearly that we forgive others so that God can forgive us. He says, when you give mercy, then you get mercy back. It's not that God's limited in how much forgiveness or mercy he can show. It's that you limit him in what he can do. Say I'm gonna wash my car. And I pull it in the driveway and I've gotta run a hose from the side of my house around to wash my car. If I go out there and I spray the hose on my car and the water pressure is not enough, the reality is there's not an issue with the source. I have good water pressure at my house. It's coming from the main. It's great. It'll come out. The problem is I probably haven't turned the spigot up enough. And if I want more flow to come out of that hose, at some point I've got to adjust it so it will. But if I limit that, that limits the flow of what will come out at the end. Mercy works the same way. If I'm stingy with how much I'm going to give, then it'll be stingy how much I receive at the end. Does that make sense? And sometimes when I'm out washing my car, I'll go around the side of the car and the hose will go under the tire. You ever had that happen? It get kinks up and it blocks the flow. Or maybe the, the, the hose kind of gets bent in the process of kind of un, unrolling out of the roll. And you have this moment where you go, oh, the water stopped. And you have to trace it back and you go, oh, the reason the water stopped is because the hose is kinked there. And when I unkink it, it opens the flow back up. And some of you wonder why there's no flow of mercy or forgiveness in your life. And it may be because somewhere the hose is kinked. 
And you've blocked up because you won't let go of that hurt or you won't let go of the past or you keep coming back to that thing. And as a result, you are actually holding up God's mercy in your life. You're holding up God's blessing and his forgiveness in your life because it will boomerang. But if you're closing it up or if you're restricting the flow, it's not God's problem. See, he's not limited in how much he can give. You've limited him in how much he can flow into your life. I got an email from a, from a good friend this week. And let me just be very clear. He has been done wrong. Multiple times, multiple people. And he has license to respond, possibly even in a, in a legal way, because of the way he's been done wrong. But as he was thinking about this, he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, you need to forgive these people. I'm calling you to give them mercy. And he said it wasn't easy. It was difficult. But he took some time just between him and God and set aside some time to spiritually wrestle through these issues and allow himself to come to a point where he could honestly say, I've forgiven them. He said two things happened. The first was that as he forgave others, there was freedom that came in his life. It was like there was a release that those things he'd been holding on to, God set him free and there was a freedom and there was a release that comes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Here's the second thing that happened. He, and, and, and honestly, it was the same day. He no sooner forgave others and God sent him an opportunity that not only made up for what he lost, but probably has the opportunity to bring him even more blessing than what he was, had taken from him. You know why? Because when he got rid of the kink in the hose, God was able to have some blessings flow into his life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. When you give mercy to another, that's when you receive it for yourself. And for some of you, don't miss it. That's critically important. There's three sides to mercy. We started with God, because mercy is in his character, and it's a gift that he gives to us, and then he commands that we give it to others. Sometimes that's, that's through simple acts of compassion, other times it's a little more tricky and it comes when we give forgiveness to someone else. But do you know why this matters? It matters because mercy triumphs over judgment. It's greater than, it's more important than. And the bottom line is in God's economy and his rule book, mercy wins every time. And because of that, we've got to recognize that what we give, it boomerangs, it comes back to us. And you may be here today and you might say, so then how does mercy work out? Understand this, mercy is found only in Jesus Christ. He's the only place where you're ever gonna find grace and hope and peace and joy and life and purpose. And I go on and on, and for some of you, those words resonate and you go, that's what I'm looking for. It's all an outpouring of his mercy and it's only found for you in him. In fact, listen to, what, listen to what Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, meaning like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If you're looking for mercy, look, it's only found in one place. It's only found in one person. It's only found in Jesus Christ. And if you're hoping to be able to be used by God to show mercy to others, at some point you're, you're gonna find that your reservoir is tapped out and it's only found in him. Reality is maybe a, a good little illustration of how mercy works in our lives. It's just a bucket of paint. You know, you, you walk up to a, a wall in your home. Maybe there's been an accident. Maybe you've got a lot of people in your house. Maybe, maybe you've got kids and you walk up to that wall and you look at it and you just go, that wall is messed up. It's dirty. There's fingerprints on it. Somebody drew on it with a marker. You, you can look at all those things and you can stand there for as long as you want. And you can get mad about that and you can be critical of that. You can be ticked off at whoever did it. But at some point, that wall's just gonna stay dirty unless you do something about it. Can I get an amen? amen. You know what you gotta do? You gotta, you gotta cover it. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta do something because you're just gonna keep coming back to that and you're gonna have to put a coat of paint on there. There's some situations in your life where you just need to cover it up with mercy because paint triumphs over dirt. <laughs> mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm not saying something wasn't wrong there. There's some things that, that are probably wrong, maybe even things that need to be fixed, but the bottom line is, what Jesus does is he covers over our sins, doesn't he? He does it because of his mercy. And not everything's perfect here. And I know you, not everything's perfect with you either. <laughs> but he doesn't wait for perfect. His mercy covers that over. And what he sees is his grace. And what he sees is his love for us. And for some of us, the most important thing you can do walking out of this message is to realize that there's someone or someplace or something in your life where you need to let mercy triumph over judgment. And you need to say, Jesus, I need help as the source of mercy for you to give me the ability to show mercy, grace, compassion, and forgiveness, to let mercy triumph over that judgment in your life. And so I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And for some of you, as we talk about God as the source of mercy, whether you're in this room or auditorium two, or maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere, and you just say, Chad, what I need is, is mercy. I've tried it on my own. I've looked for answers in all kinds of places, and I'm just not finding them. And when you talk about hope and when you talk about grace and when you talk about forgiveness and when you talk about love, I don't feel like I'm worthy of those things. And there's so many ways in which I've, I've walked away from God. But today I'm asking him for his mercy. The truth is that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. 
He bled and died on that cross to pay the price for the things that you've done, for the things that I've done. Because of God's mercy, those things are covered over by his grace. If we'll come to him and ask him, if we'll say, God, I I need to be in right relationship with you. I need to follow you. Jesus, I need to make you my Lord and my Savior, the one who leads me and the one who forgives me. And if today you'd say, I need to begin or begin again a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and I want to pray with you. If that's you, you say today, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand? Whether you're in this room or auditorium too, maybe you're watching somewhere. You just say, God, I need to begin or begin again. Lord, I call on your mercy today. Raise your hand, put it right back down. God, I need you today. Thanks. Or maybe today you're here and God has spoken to your heart and said, I want you to show mercy to another. Your family, in your school, in the workplace. Maybe it's an act of forgiveness. But there's somewhere where mercy needs to triumph over judgment in your life. And today you would say, God, as the source of mercy, would you help me to be merciful so that I can receive mercy? If that's you, God, I need your help to be merciful. Would you just raise your hand? There's a person, there's a situation. Wow, hands all over. Yeah, there's a person, there's a situation, there's circumstance. God, I need your help to be merciful. Father, and you've seen our hands today. God, you know the situations and the circumstances where we are. God, I I pray with those who raised a hand and said that today they need to begin a relationship with you. Father, I ask that you would allow them to know your grace and your presence in this moment. Lord, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our hearts that God raised you from the dead, Jesus. And we put our hope and our confidence in you as our Lord and as our Savior. Father, with those that raised a hand today, that says, Lord, help me to be a, a catalyst, to be a channel of mercy. God, may we be willing to look past those places that, that give way to judgment and let mercy triumph over judgment in our lives and hold on to the truth that says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.